Hey, everyone, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lolly Aracoglu. Hello. We are coming to you essentially from the past. We're recording this episode in mid-July because by the time it airs, our very lovely guest will be well into her maternity leave. Joining us today and spilling on all things food is Bon Appetit's deputy editor, Julia Kramer. Thanks for having me. In the same way that Traveller puts together our hot list of incredible new hotels shaking things up, Bon Appetit puts out its list of the best new restaurants in America. And as with hot list, I imagine that best new restaurants takes a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of research and a lot of eating. I'd love to kind of dial it back to the beginning and sort of, Julia, how did you get started at BA and how did you end up on the new restaurant beat? I used to be a restaurant critic in Chicago for uh, our weekly paper there. And I did that for five years and I was kind of a brutal restaurant critic. Like I would just, I don't know, I had no filter. I was like, I guess what it's like to be 23 and have (laughs) an outlet to say whatever you want. And I really enjoyed that a lot. And while I was doing that, I became friendly with Andrew Knowlton, who used to be the deputy editor at Bon Appetit. And he would come into town and he would ask me where to eat and we would go out to eat. And eventually he brought me on to Bon Appetit, um, where I started working with him six years ago. And he would sort of give me the cities that he put together this list for many years and he would give me the cities that he didn't want to go to. And then those were actually the cities I was more excited about because, you know, of course you're going to find amazing restaurants in LA and Chicago where I'm from and all that. But the sort of thrill of finding some amazing restaurant in Davidson, North Carolina, or someplace where people who don't live there don't expect to find really amazing food was what kind of got me excited about the job. So I did the list with him for the last couple years. And then uh this is my first year doing it like totally solo. Obviously I had a little help from some of my colleagues, but it's the most, it's sort of been like my list ever. So if people hate it, it's me. (laughs) I'm curious because you just mentioned six meals in a day. Can you walk us through like what the actual research process is for a restaurant making it or even being considered for the best restaurants list? Yeah. So even though it's concentrated into a period of time when I actually do the traveling, this is a year round job for me. Like I'm always following new restaurants on Instagram and reading the eater site in like 20 different cities and keeping track of what's opening and following certain chefs who look promising and sort of keeping tabs on that with like a massive Google Doc. And then when it comes time to actually hit the road. So our list comes out every year um, this year in the October issue, and it covers restaurants that have opened from May of the previous year until like whenever my deadline is so like mid May of the next year. So because of that, um, I concentrate uh, most of the travel in the spring. So this year I was gone Monday through Friday if in like March, April. And I really pushed the deadline. It was re- most of May as well, to be <laughs> honest. Um, and I tried to just 
like I'm sure as you guys do when you're planning a trip somewhere and you're trying to figure out where to eat, like you reach out to as many different sources as possible and then like triangulate that information. So I'm reading all the local critics and what they write and Eater and then in the best scenarios, I know someone in that city or I know someone who knows someone and I can kind of pick their brain. And a lot of times um, that's how you find the real like hidden gems is just like now that I've been doing this for six years, I've visited these cities like at least once or twice a year. I have I know people in almost all of them. And it's those connections that often lead me to the best places. So you said that you were often traveling Monday to Friday each week. That's a crazy travel schedule. How did you juggle real life and all your other responsibilities with doing that for three months? Yeah, so (laughs) this is my first year where I tried to do the travel during the week um, because it's the first year that I've done it while having a child at home. And so when I traveled two years ago or three years ago, I would just leave. I would I would be like, all right, I'm going to be gone for the next 17 days. Like, see you guys never. <laughs> um, and that was the way that I loved to do it. And that is also like the most economical way to do it, to just go from one city to the next, as opposed to always coming back from New York. And plus, like, the less time you spend taking a cab like to and from LaGuardia and JFK like the better your quality of life is I think um as someone who had to take a shuttle bus in LaGuardia to the taxi section on Sunday night I concur it's just brutal (laughs) so three I can't remember if it was three or four years ago I was doing one of those like really long legs of the trip where I was gone for like more than two weeks and I ended up in the ER in Chicago with pneumonia. Like I'd just like truly driven myself into the ground. And I think that can happen when you're like, you know, on an airplane every single day. Like I was basically spending one night in each city and just kind of like really burn myself out. And so Adam Rappaport, our editor in chief ever since then has been like, please stop taking these like really long (laughs) trips. Just go for shorter (laughs) periods of time and don't drive yourself into the ground because we really need the restaurant editor to be alive. So this year, because I had a kid at home, I really tried to do shorter trips, but I kind of just like felt like a crazy person. And also people think that this is like the most amazing job and that all I do is just like go on Instagram, look up restaurants, go check them out. But actually, this is kind of like my night job and my day job at Bon Appetit has a lot more to do with like managing people and editing stories and, um, you know, overseeing the websites and like stuff like that. Uh, So as I was traveling, I was kind of doing my regular work during the day and breaking to go have like breakfast, lunch and usually two dinners. So it was intense, but... Now that it's over, I'm like, oh, it wasn't so bad. (laughs) You just forget. It's like when you're in the summer, you forget how bad the winter is, and then you just keep going, and then it hits you again. As someone who is very pro-double dinner, I, when I go on long weekends, often will plan like a 4 p.m. and a 10 p.m. dinner because I want to maximize my (laughs) eating. Oh, my God. You should have my job. Seriously. (laughs) No one ever says that. The problem is is that I'm a picky eater, so I don't think I'd be good at your job. But if (laughs) anyone ever wants to just, like, set me up for double dinners. So you're not having, like, bone marrow at 4 (laughs) p.m. and then... 
like a whole hog's head at 10. <laughs> that is not what is happening. Well, that's where you really get into trouble because like, particularly with a tasting menu, like a tasting menu is supposed to be this like incredibly pleasurable experience. And all I can think when I'm eating one of them is like, oh my God, how am I going to eat the next dinner after this? Like there's so much anxiety that like has become associated with that because when you're eating two dinners, you have a real perception shift. <laughs> and I get anxiety just if I like don't finish the food on my plate. If I've really enjoyed it, I want it to come across that I've really enjoyed it. And which, when you can't eat it all, I don't know, that's just my own neuros- neurosis coming <laughs> no, through. No, no, I have that too. And especially like people very rarely know or care who I am. Like I'm typically very low key but in the rare situation where someone like does know like oh this person works at bon appetit or whatever and then i'm not finishing my food like it the pressure is just like so uncomfortable god it's just like giving me (laughs) anxiety you know obviously you're a food editor and you work in the food world all the time i'm curious what like you see as a great restaurant and then also how that translates to like your average person like me or maybe someone who doesn't do double dinners who is just like going out to eat occasionally and wants to have a great meal yeah i mean i like to think that we're pretty similar and i think that that's part of why i tend to take a kind of low-key approach like I I want to be treated in the restaurant just as you would and if you went to a restaurant and it wasn't very good you wouldn't give it a second shot you know what I mean <laughs> and so like I think that a lot of the way I approach a restaurant is the same as any other diner who's paying for their meal but obviously you know I went to a few dozen cities this year and had a couple hundred meals and there's a difference between a restaurant that is executing everything really well and is like a well-functioning restaurant and a restaurant that goes on our hot 10 list because there really has to be something um, very special about it and I feel I, I don't know if don't have like anxiety is the right word but like there are people who might see this restaurant and plan a trip to go to the city to eat there and like I don't want to let anybody down so you know I take it really seriously and I I hold the restaurants to a really high standard I guess in order to put them on the list. This probably takes the magic away from it and I might maybe I'm thinking too practically but is there sort of a mental checklist you have when you walk in that isn't necessarily to do with great level of service or sort of impressive execution but is there like a vibe that you're trying to find or a rapport that you have with the people who work there or just like a chemistry yeah I mean unfortunately I've become like pretty jaded and I am sensitive off the bat if I feel like there's just something kind of like rote about the restaurant like you sit down and the server comes over and they're like so like we recommend you order two to three dishes per person like everything's meant to be shared it'll come out as it's ready and you're just kind of like oh is there like a person in there you know what i mean like i i like a restaurant where i feel genuinely that the people working there like really want to be there and they're not just like reading some script that they were like forced to share with the table so i'm kind of sensitive to that I'm very sensitive to like the lighting, you know, and like square plates, you know, but 
Yeah, I'm looking at everything, and, and I think that that's kind of what makes the Bon Appetit list maybe different from some other lists that are out there that are really focused on the food, um, like a list of the best new chefs. You know, like that's really about like this chef's story and the quality of the food that they're putting out, not as much about like, is this a great overall 360 restaurant experience? And that's really what we're going for with, with the BA list. So getting into the nitty gritty of the list that's coming out, what are some of your favorite like female-led restaurants that you feel like exemplify what the list is about? One women-led restaurant that I'm obsessed with is in New York. It's called Copatium. It's on the Lower East Side on the border of Chinatown. And I actually started going there a couple years ago when they had a smaller iteration of it across the street with a much smaller menu. And it's run by a woman named Kyo Peng, and she is from Malaysia. And I didn't really know that much about her when I started going there. I was It was just sort of like a tiny little spot where you could get like a milk tea and this dish called nasi lemak, which is like essentially a rice bowl with these like teeny tiny crispy anchovies and peanuts on top. And then she closed that location and reopened down the street and she partnered with a woman named Moonlin Sai, who's also really lovely, and really expanded the menu and made it like more of a place that you would like hang out as opposed to the the previous one, which just had stools. So I started going there and they still had the Nasi Lamak and I was like still super into that. But then every time I went, there would be these like specials and these like hand cut noodles and these wings that were glazed and like shrimp paste and all these amazing pastries that she makes. And it was like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience of like, you just kept going back because you, you didn't even know what there was going to be what was going to be there. Like, it was just really amazing. And as I've learned more about Keo, the chef, she just has this amazing background where her food, which they have a sign outside that says like Malaysian coffee shop. Um, so I was like, oh, it's a Malaysian restaurant. And now that I've um, spoken to her more and, and learned more about it, it's really the food of like her distinct heritage, which is called Nyanya, which is the descendants of, I think, uh, Chinese and according to her, Portuguese who settled in Malaysia. And so all the food is like very personal for her. And she actually is in the U.S., I believe, on some sort of asylum visa. And so she hasn't been able to go back and see her family for the last 11 years. So cooking this food is really like truly her connection to her, her family and where she grew up and it just has so much meaning for her and to be able to shine the spotlight on that type of restaurant to me is like kind of what this list is about you know like it's like I want people to know her story and I want her food that has like such a just like genuine sort of history to it to be shown to more people, whether they go there or they read about it in the magazine or we're running the recipe for the Nasi Lamak so they can cook it at home. But I'm excited to give them a little shout out on the list. I want to ask you specifically about one place that's from my hometown because I have seen a million of my friends going here and I have never been able to go the last couple times that I've gone home to Dallas. But Petra and the Beast 
is like something that I have just been seeing everywhere from my friends in Dallas. And I want to know what you think. Okay. Well, first of all, since you're from Dallas, you're going to be super amped about (laughs) something else that's coming out. Every year we name a city of the year. Last year it was Portland, Maine. And then before that it was Chicago and then DC and then San Francisco before that. And this year it's Dallas. That is so insane. To oh, me. you're gonna be unbearable. <laughs> um, that makes me so happy because I feel like it has so many restaurants, period, that like the good restaurants sometimes like get ignored because there's just like this huge wealth of like perfectly good restaurants, and then they're like great restaurants. They get lost in the sea of all the other things. Oh, this makes me so happy. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we can go back to Petra and well, the Beast. As I'm Maybe this is going to offend you, but like people do not think highly of the Dallas restaurant. No, that's like a hundred. And that's, and, and I think that's the thing is that most of the restaurants are fine. Like they're, they're fine. Yeah. It doesn't have a great reputation. And every time, every year that I've gone there, it has like lived up to its bad reputation. Um, But this year, I don't know if it's that I did better research or that the, restaurant scene there is just kind of evolving but I had such amazing food in Dallas and I was it just like it like opened my eyes and I felt like it was worthy of being celebrated the same way that everyone is always super amped up about Houston so among those really good meals was Petra and the Beast sort of a wonky environment it's almost like barely a restaurant and I mean that as a compliment it's not on our hot on our hot 10 list but it is on our top 50 um and I think that Misty Norris who's the chef there and actually I put her on our top 50 a couple years ago when she was the chef at small brew pub and that was just a random place I stumbled into and I could not believe how good the food was and then it's been so cool to watch her just totally blow up she was one of food and wine's best new chefs this year and the charcuterie plate that she does there is probably the best charcuterie in this country the pastas are all unbelievable just these handmade pastas and um there's something very inspiring about the way that she cooks and something like really funny about the setup that it's in, which is just like, it's very bare bones. You kind of order at the counter. They don't serve beer or wine. They have like some kombucha there. Maybe it's BYO. I don't know, because I'm, I'm pregnant. So I don't even remember if they serve, like if you could bring your own wine there. But yeah, it's a very quirky setup that you would never expect to have like such amazing food. So definitely go on your next trip. And there's another restaurant in Dallas that is on our hot 10 that's called Cow Noodle Shop. And that's in East Dallas. And it's a Lao restaurant. And you probably know this better than I do. But I guess that neighborhood that it's in was home to many um, Asian immigrants in like the 70s and 80s. And it's actually where the chef's wife, who's also Laotian, where she grew up. And it's just this amazing little restaurant where the chef is taking all these recipes that he learned from his mom, who used to have Thai restaurants, and just putting his own like very delightful spin on it. And that really was the place where I realized like, oh God, I don't think I've been giving Dallas its due because this place is amazing. Um, So I was very excited about Cow Noodle Shop and um, Petra and the Beast. 
So there's a bunch of female-led restaurants on the list. Yes, and I think um, one thing that is nice about our list is that we're really recognizing everyone behind the restaurants. So there's a bakery in Detroit that's run by a woman named Jess Hicks and her husband, but there's also this amazing little wine bar in Baltimore called Le Comptoir de Van where the chef is a man, this guy Will Master, but his partner in it, this woman, Rosemary Liss, really like oversees the front of house and makes the vibe and gets all the amazing natural wine. And I like that we have a list that can celebrate everyone's role that they play in a restaurant, not just the chef. I feel like there's so much emphasis always on like the chef, the chef. And to me, like that's, that's one part of what makes an amazing restaurant, but not like the whole thing. You mentioned that when you were doing your research, you couldn't really sample any of the alcohol Mm because you were pregnant. I'm interested to know what that experience of doing all that research and traveling pregnant was like and whether you were more aware of like non-alcoholic drink options and menus and whether you found yourself weighing up things that you hadn't before. Yeah, I think I have no idea what this would have been like five, ten years ago. It is incredible to me, like how many places I went to had not just the option of, oh, yeah, we could make you something without alcohol, but a whole section dedicated on their menu to non-alcoholic drinks. And we actually have a funny thing that is hopefully running in the October issue. It hasn't shipped yet um, of all the different names that restaurants use to like refer to non-alcoholic cocktails because no one wants to order a mocktail. You know what I mean? That is just like the ugliest, like grossest word. And so they've come up with like all these other words. It's like, oh, spirit freeze or like soft cocktails or um, various other phrases to try to like make them more appealing to people. Um, I definitely like appreciated that a lot, like having that as an option. I will say my my very strong feeling is that most non-alcoholic drinks are still too complicated. What I would like to drink most of the time is some sort of like shrub and soda um, or a house-made kombucha, like something that is tart, acidic, and effervescent. And I'm not really looking for like a non-alcoholic cocktail that tastes like a smoothie or like a savory meal. (laughs) Um, And I guess you could say that about cocktails too, but I I didn't love all of them in their taste, but I really like appreciated that they existed. And especially when you're out with someone who's like drinking all these fun wines, like you want to feel like you have something fun to drink also. Um, Although I did consume just like massive quantities of club soda with lime. (laughs) Um, I'm curious what other women-led restaurants you are like dying to go back to now that you've kind of like formalized the list to go and actually and enjoy without having to like think about it as specifically. Yeah there are so many I mean even today because I was looking at the photos on the wall from this bakery called Ochre Bakery which is in Detroit and I went there I think it was like the second week they were open and I fell in love with it. And honestly, it was an easy place for me to love because I love baked goods and I love bread and they have this like really ambitious bread 
baker there who's doing amazing stuff and they also have like really good savory food and the vibe is really cute but as I was looking at the photos on the wall I was like oh they didn't have a patio when I went there like they didn't have they didn't even have a sign outside there's like really cute sign that was like in the photos and I was like that wasn't there and like that's one of the hardest things to me about putting this list together is when I go back to these cities I always want to go back to the places that I loved the year before but that's like not allowed. Like I gotta move on and like only go to the new places. So I would definitely love to go back to Ogre just cause I feel like if it was as good as it was when I went there in week two, I can't even like imagine how good it is now. And I always, I mean, I always love going back to Chicago where I'm from to eat there. I like very partial to it. So I was just gonna say, I went to Doc Doc Goat Oh. last weekend when I was there. How was that? It was really good. It was great. And then it sounds like there's just like a lot of women that are doing super cool things in the city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are so many just amazing women-led restaurants everywhere. And also I've gotten connected with so many, and I'm sure you guys have too, but I feel like there are these communities that have really sprung up over the last few years in the food world that are bringing women in the food industry together. Um, we've partnered, we have a, another, like our sister brand, Healthy-ish. We've partnered with a bunch of them, like this organization, Future of Women, that we've hosted breakfast with, and this organization called Pineapple that hosts a lot of events in New York and D.C. And I tend to like hit those people up when I'm in their cities to be like so what's good what are you eating and it's such a like important network I think so earlier you were talking about how you have to um like go back to the same cities but you have to go to new places and kind of like ignore the old when you're going on actual vacation like not scouting for this trip how do you pick where you're eating like what combination of new old out there totally in like every guidebook like what is your what is your perfect sauce? Um, I don't know that I've been on an actual vacation where I haven't also been doing like hot ten at the same time. But if I were, I would only go to restaurants that have been around for like more than thirty years, and preferably, I told I was joking with my colleague Emil that next year's list is going to be limited to restaurants that are in buildings that are pre-World War II. Just like nothing in a new condo building is going to be like allowed to even be visited. That's not true, but that would be my ideal. Um, I just really, really love old restaurants and um, I love places that have been serving the same menu for decades with the same servers. And I don't, I obviously have the privilege of this job to eat every like new idea that someone has in food and so on my nights off like in New York for example I would just go to Keaton's Steakhouse same since like 1857 or something because <laughs> um, I'm not really in it for like the food I'm more just love those environments and the servers and the atmosphere and um, that would be my ideal. Amazing. Well, let's wrap it up there. If people want to follow you in your personal life, where can they find you on the internet? At Julia Kramer and I'll say Allison 
Roman makes fun of me because I post an Instagram story like once every two months. So I promise not to overwhelm your feats. It's very minimal. So there'll be like an element of surprise. They never know when they'll hear from you. You can find the full BA Hot 10 list at bonappetit.com slash hot 10. And if you're in New York and you want a taste of some of these amazing dishes from the restaurants for yourself, Women Who Travel listeners can get 10% off tickets to Bon Appetit's Hot 10 party on October 19th. Just go to bahot10.com and use the code WWTHOT10 to get 10% off. That's WWTHOT and then the number 10. It'll also be listed in the show notes. Lale, where can people find you? You can find me at Lale Hannah on Instagram. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We come out with new episodes every Tuesday. Uh, and check out stories from us at womenwhotravel.com. <laughs>